spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken hi guys andy ends spoken able i'm back in the house and i'm in manchester central library again today for the third time in about two and a half weeks now i've got a guest with me of course a lovely lady who i met actually here when was it lonely about a month and a half ago. Uh, three, three weeks ago. Yeah, it was fairly yeah, recently, yeah, wasn't it? Was it? Quite so, recent. yeah, I met. Look, I've got a young lady called Lonely Roland at the moment, and I met you over at Word Central, which is about ten yards away from where we're chatting. Actually, yeah, I can see it just over there. Yeah, and then you came down that night, and I, I didn't know who you were, Dan. You went to stage and read out this absolutely brilliant flash fiction piece, and I'm. It's always a good. And you won't know it's Lonely when I'm doing booking and podcasts. Um, Amanda's always sat next to me, and she's saying to me, "I don't know a person." Get her on. And Amanda said it after the story, your story, story. Yeah, get her on straight oh, away. <laughs> That's why. So now, obviously, Loney. Now, for people that don't know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself first of all? You've lived quite a varied background, haven't you? Really, we're travelling to various places. Yes. So I'm originally from the south of England, um, and then I've been living in Manchester for almost four years. I moved up here in 2018 uh, to take an MA in Gothic literature. Oh, nice. Uh, which is sort of like the nice. majority of my background. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, I, know, I, know, I know a few people have done that course in Gothic literature, oh, actually. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible. There's a Gothic centre um, at Manchester Met, Uni. Um, and it's just wonderful. Everyone that works there is wonderful. Yeah. Just, um, I did a podcast just for a lockdown with somebody who used to work there, actually. Oh, yeah, but I forgot, I forgot the name as well. <laughs> she killed me as well. I'll have, I'll have to look for that. Yeah, I'll tell you her name off mic. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head now. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Perks is well, label. I speak to so many people I forget half the time. So, yeah. so like I said, but you've been, you moved obviously four years ago to do your degree. Yes. And I know obviously you're now doing your PhD, aren't you, in critical writing? Yes. yes. And what was you did? What was you? You did um, an undergraduate course, didn't you, in Norwich originally as yeah, well? That's right. And then went into your PhD. Yeah. Uh, not sorry, 
joint honours in Manchester. What courses did you do in Norwich and Manchester originally? Um, so at UEA I was originally on a creative writing course Oh yeah. Um, and then I realised that I wanted to pursue critical writing uh, so I switched on to just a straight English literature oh, degree brilliant. Um, and then I specialised um, like over the course of the degree in Gothic literature ah, um, so then that's how I ended up in Manchester and then my PhD is on the Japanese Gothic and uh, disaster capitalism in Japan. Excellent. Yeah. Nice, nice, sounds a nice cheerful topic. Yeah, that's I know, great I way, so. so much to look forward to. Oh, <laughs> how, how long has your PhD gone last for them? Three years. So three years. I know somebody they did it in four and then they did I know I know some else did it in three. So yeah, it's going to be a challenge for you straight away. Come on to that in a bit because I want to. Plenty of plenty of topic I want to talk about with that. Now obviously you told me off mic before before we start. You lived in Hong Kong at one point. And is that where part of your interest in Gothic came from originally then? Um, yeah, so living in Hong Kong definitely developed my interest in the Gothic and also my ideas about what the Gothic has mm. the potential to be because the mode in its original form sort of stemmed out of uh, British culture and then as the world has globalised, the Gothic has globalised as well. Um, and I work on Japan, um, and Japan had its own Gothic, and still does have its own Gothic tradition um, that's separate to the British one, but they kind of, there's a lot of dialogue between them. Yeah, my brother, um, my brother's really good at that sort of stuff, interesting enough. He knows all that, they're a lot, they're quite, he's seen quite a few, told me about quite a few Japanese Gothic films oh, and horror, so yeah. And I've seen a couple of them, some a bit better than others. Yeah, Wait, do you remember which ones you've seen? Oh, I'm hopeless of them sort of stuff, sorry. No, I'll have to my email and we're talking about, what, ten years ago, so when I... If he was, if he was, if he was there with me, yeah. he would tell you that you're named about six to you, right? Yeah. So, I can't help you there, so... Yeah. But as I said, it's, where did all the interest in it come from originally? Was it when you moved to Hong Kong or was it there before? Was it? Uh, in the Gothic. Yeah, in the Gothic. Uh, so it was before I moved to Hong Kong that I became interested in the Gothic. I've always had um, an interest in this area. Hmm. Um, so, for example, when I was very, very young, I went to see Phantom of the Opera um, oh, yeah. at the theatre and just fell in love with it. Um, it with, with the atmosphere and the intensity of the stories, um, the way that interpersonal relationships are explored in this very extreme passionate way. Yeah, it's a fantastic um, opera. Yeah. I've seen I've seen it done at the library centre and I, I remember at the time the person I was with it was having her in tears afterwards. Yeah, oh my goodness, I yeah. cry every time. It really gets me. And the baby look like it's like Obviously, I, I myself, when I do, I was at university, so we do the original classic British Gothics yeah. by Frankenstein yes, and Mary yes. Shelley. Exactly. Yeah, and it's that's I've seen that done in theatre a few times and various degrees of success. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my favourite Frankenstein adaptation is Rocky Horror. Oh, <laughs> if you can call it a, an adaptation, well, I suppose. It's yeah. a, I can do a loose adaptation yes, there. Yes, <laughs> but all the more wonderful for it. Yeah, completely so. Now, what's the said for you? That obviously you became you younger then, didn't it? So, yeah. then what made you want to come to Hong Kong So, I was lucky enough to visit Hong Kong when I was about 19. A very good friend of mine was mm. there, uh, so she had me to stay. And I just fell in love with it and I wanted to spend more time there um, and sort of really experience it on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm very interested in place in general and what it means to exist mm. in certain places. Um, and so I started applying for jobs and oh, I, was, I was out in Hong Kong and I was emailing these companies 
asking them to interview me and I think they were so alarmed that this person was asking to be interviewed on holiday that oh, <laughs> they fantastic. just gave me a job which was wonderful. Oh fantastic. Yeah. So obviously you're obviously in Hong Kong and all the language barriers is English isn't yeah. it? But like I said, it was like, so that makes life easier. It'd been like somewhere else, like a Mandalorian or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So they speak Cantonese and Hong Kong. That's Cantonese, um, I see, yeah. But it's quite a, an international, especially Hong Kong Island. Uh, there's a lot of expats, mm. and that's not actually where I was living. I was in Kowloon and then in the New Territories. Um, but you can get by with English. Oh, sure. How long were you in Hong Kong for? Uh, a year. Yeah. What made you come back to England then? Go on, then. I've, got a, I've got a lot of full of nosy questions here. things. The main thing is the Gothic, and I, I was missing the Gothic, uh, so I had to had to get back to it. That's where my where my heart is. Um, but I also was missing. I was quite surprisingly homesick. I would say I was missing my family and my friends. Oh, we do. I think you're doing what you've done there. I've li- I've well never actually lived in the city, but I've travelled around enormously. I have when I was certainly was your age. And you do like it, so I mean, if you stay away for more than a couple of months, it can really hit you sometimes when you're young. Absolutely. And that's why, so yeah. And then obviously, like you do with the rest of your family and friends, and then you came up to Manchester then, didn't you? So. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so I did, I did. Um, but Manchester feels, it's actually the first place I've ever really felt at home. I love it here. Yeah, um, I can't blame you, like, it's, it's, it's nice. I would never leave this place. No, no, I don't blame you. I, came, <laughs> I don't well, think I've come, I will either. I've come close a couple of times, but Have you? <laughs> yeah. Have you? Yeah, but well, it's nice. But it's about you, did you today, this anyway, so. <laughs> I could talk about me all day, you're right, I'm so quite shy. You're welcome to. Oh, no, no, no. Well, okay, now, obviously, like, I want to learn, obviously, then, about, obviously, your writing. You told me before, off yeah, like, didn't you? I know, obviously, you were clearly writing when you did your, your over in Norwich. Yeah. Did you have a break, then, did you, before you came back to it a couple of years ago? Um, sort of. So, I started writing. I've always, I've always written. Mm. Um, so, varying degrees of success. When I was 16, I wrote a very, very bad detective novel. <laughs> so um, that was. If you've ever heard of them, a band called The Fall. Oh yes, yeah, I have. Mark E. Smith. Have. He's yeah. always. It's one of his quotes is. To, to do anything, you've got to do it badly to start with. I couldn't agree more, and I've done it badly. <laughs> let me tell you. I've got about half a dozen um, novels knocking on all of that. <laughs> so, so, so obviously, then that you did that when you were 16, and obviously I know you've yeah. been writing more successfully haven't you that's yes, way I put it since, yes. um, so I would say I've been writing fiction seriously for about two years um, maybe a little bit more um, I discovered the Bath Flash Fiction World um, mm. when I was I think it was in 2019 um, and I was one of my pieces of writing was included in their anthology um, and I kind of have them to thank for my later flash fiction success, I think, because it kind of showed me what it was possible to do with short bursts of writing, um, and it gave me quite a lot of confidence to submit to other places. Um, and then, since then, I yeah put my work out into the world in like various ways. Good. Now, I think sometimes you just need that one little break sometimes, and anything you do, yeah. it gives you confidence to do more. Then definitely, it absolutely, so. it just sort of flicks a switch in your head, I think, um, and it yeah opens possibilities. Yeah, obviously, I know you mostly do flash fiction, don't you, nowadays? Do I know? Obviously, I said horse, I suppose you said like it's, and that's where I first, the piece you read at Word Central, I do remember that being definitely gothic fiction. <laughs> yeah. And also the one that 
I think it's speakeasy. I think was it. I think was, I think was a different piece, but my memory's shit. So. <laughs> again, it's all that sort of very darkness again as well with it. So, is there any sort of reoccurring themes that crop up in your work a lot? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I had a chapbook published almost exactly a year ago. I was going to ask you about that next. See, look at that. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I know, psychic link. Psychic link, definitely go. Um, yeah, so that's called In Bed With Melon Bread. Um, and I put it together when I realised that food and conversations that occur over food were constantly cropping up in my work. Um, and it wasn't intentional, it just sort of happened. So I collated um, eight of my stories into that chapter And it was about, uh, or it is about, it still exists, so I don't know why I'm talking about it in the past tense. <laughs> Um, but it's sort of about what it means to eat with people and consume various things in that capacity and also what it means to eat alone. I think that the main thing that crops up in all of my work is the disconnects that occur between people and the alternate or alternative conversations that happen in the gaps between the actual conversation that's happening. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, completely. Yeah. No, I guess a lot of good fiction is not don't tell you everything. Yeah. It's you're looking for what sometimes it implied. Yeah. And I think yeah, definitely. I've I've read, I've read at least one or two books like that recently. And it's yeah. and some were better and more successful than others. That's be by night. Oh, excellent. Now, obviously, we said it would be in eight pieces. Yes. Were these wrote over quite a period, or did they were were they quite concise or wrote? Um, it was actually over quite a long period of time. They, the earliest piece in the collection was written in Hong Kong, uh, which was about five years ago now, four years ago. Um, and then the latest piece was written just a couple of months before it was published. So wow, that yeah. was uh, at the end of 2020, I think. Yeah, that's right. Oh, but yeah, some like be doing that sort of piece like that, they're all spread out quite well. In some ways it probably works out better for you, doesn't it? Like, because you can look back at it, you're thinking, oh, I wrote that piece there, I wrote that piece. Then it's like five years of your life, isn't it, really? Four or five years of your life. Exactly. It's really interesting as a kind of time capsule, and I can see myself as a writer and also as a person inflected in all the stories. Um, yeah, it was actually, it was a really lovely experience putting the topic together, and it allowed me to sort of section off that part of my work and move on to new things which I was very grateful for because yeah. I felt that I was I could say completely. old ground quite a lot. My second board book which I did about 11 years ago is very dissimilar to that. Um, I don't actually started 11 years ago but what else? But that took me five years to write for various reasons, and it's like yours. It's some books. I mean, when you do your next collection, because I know what I see with the person and the more to come, and that's, I know that for a fact. But like, it's some would take quicker than others, and others don't. They sell. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, especially if you're sitting down to write something with a goal in mind, uh, it's quite a different experience to just collecting pieces up. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, no, 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 of course, no, sense. yeah, it does make sense completely, so, that's what I mean, like, it's, I've not read the book now, I'm going to have to look at a copy of it, up, but we'll come on to that in a minute, right, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm interested, certainly, so, but obviously, like I said before, with it, obviously, with the eight stories and that, yes. now, how did you put it into an order, then, was there a sort of order in mind for those stories when you're writing them, like, synchronisation? Um, so... Once I realised that I wanted to write a collection rather than just a series of individual stories, um, I started creating a dialogue between them. 
And then when I was collating the chapbook and editing it, uh, the stories that appear in that form, some of them are quite different to the way that they appear individually, uh, just because I wanted there to be a real sense of unity between them. Um, I wanted it to feel like um, not so much a continuous narrative, but something that was... I wanted the fact that they were placed next to each other to mean something, rather than just sort of jamming stuff yeah. together. Does that make sense? I think, sense? you know, it's the best way, because I think yeah. it's a mistake. And I've said, I'm not being disrespectful to some writers, I know it. When you bring out your first collection, yeah. you don't, you're not necessarily put thought into it, I mean, you've gone into it. Yeah. And I, perhaps I made that upset my first collection, but the second one I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And I think sometimes to actually get that first collection right, that's really, really tricky business, I hear. So, yeah. and I said, you took eight stories, I said, over what, a five year period. Yeah. Now, obviously, we don't, want, we don't want people thinking, obviously, that you just wrote those eight stories in five no, years. No, not at all. <laughs> There were many other things as well, those were just the ones that made it in. Um, and I, to me now, obviously it was a year ago that the chapbook was published, I feel like I've changed quite a lot as a writer since then. Um, but it's been, as I say, it was lovely to have that marker of a specific period. Yeah. I think so as well, because what you've done is like you said, obviously without really education, you I'm always a believer in education like that when you're writing. It's not the case that you're getting taught it. it you're getting the experience of learning, getting taught how to think in more deep, different ways, aren't you? So, and that's why at the moment I find it interesting what you're doing, like critical writing on your PhD. Now, where do where do you envisage that to lead you to with your critical writing? I would love to work in academia in some capacity. Uh, I would love to work as a lecturer. That's my end goal. Um, if end goal is the right word, that's that's where I'm heading. Oh yeah, moment. yeah, no, definitely, definitely. You're an intelligent, intelligent. I get the words back to front now. Intelligent, lovely young ladies to get that way. Definitely, you've got to have a, have a drive to get into that sort of thing that you're doing. So, no, excellent. And do you think you'll ever do a second book then? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I would like to write a longer collection um, and I would go about it quite differently this time I think um, mm. I would want it to be written more purposefully with the goal of it existing as a longer piece of work in mind yeah, um, yeah. so that's that's my thinking <laughs> yeah obviously I can't ask you what you're writing in a minute then because obviously that's, that's probably a state you you're still in that stage where you're making your mind the way your direction is next on it, aren't you? So. Yeah, I was actually I was writing a novella last year, but I'm not sure that it's ever going to see the light of day. Oh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's one of those that's just going to be consigned to um, the dustbin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Very gently placed in the yeah. dustbin, exactly. Well, I've got. I keep it up in my case. I've got. About three thousand five hundred poems wrote. Oh Good. my goodness! That's well, amazing. actually, well, I'm fifty, like said nearly, and I started. Yeah. I started on a ten. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. I've done, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're like when you're writing on this. As I'm interested in knowing, it. I can, I've got all my little hardback A5 books, oh, and I filled about sixty of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I've still got loads of writing on my laptop and stuff, with bits and pieces of that. But all the poems that I've finished on those little books. Do you write by hand? It varies because yeah. sometimes if I'm tra- I do a lot of travelling so when I'm writing most of them travelling yes. and then I'll get home and I'll do the polishing up at home so so what's your writing pattern like? Um, so I, I definitely write best 
on a computer. I wish I didn't. I love the idea of writing beautifully by hand. Um, and I do keep a journal, which I keep by hand. I write that every day. Well, the two of my cases, that's something my handwriting. People can't see. <laughs> Love your awful handwriting. No, no, it's great. I can read it perfectly. <laughs> it's just like I said, I don't want the poem. The poem's a bit more organised. Usually you write on your laptop, don't you, so? Yes, yes. I find that my voice comes out quite differently on the laptop. Um, so in terms of my writing patterns, I try and write as regularly as possible. Um, at the moment, my writing is more weighted towards the critical side, I think, yeah, just yeah. because I'm on the PhD at the moment. Um, but I find that like after 9pm is when my brain, my brain feels soft. <laughs> oh, it, it's what Amanda <laughs> says, my wife, is your brain tends to mush. <laughs> yes, 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 but in a good way. I find yeah. that I write quite well. Do you, do you, are you one of these sort of writers that write, say, first thing dead early in the morning, in the middle of the night, or is it usually a certain point night you take right off? <laughs> yeah, so with critical writing, I write in the morning. Uh, my brain is very sharp and I can get ideas done much better. But with creative writing, I write at night mostly. Oh, completely. Now, yeah. I want to learn off to your laptop stuff. Obviously, that's great because you can see you're travelling around, you can just write, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that? I know what I'm like, I'm notorious for this. When I'm writing, does your do the environment inspire you or change the way you might be thinking? Yeah, definitely. Uh, they definitely do. There's certain environments. I write really well um, on trains <laughs> or on buses. When I say really well, I don't mean that it comes out well. <laughs> no, I mean that I'm able to write quite fluidly when I'm sort of in liminal places between places. Now, um, before we met before, I know you were obviously doing some work at Central Library, on Central Library, yeah. and that's like, that'd be different to obviously where you live, I know you you live fairly local around here, don't you, so yes. that's why, so everything, it's, everything goes inspired, isn't it, so it's, Definitely. and like, you might, you're probably going to find your next book's ready, the seed of it will probably come from something at least unexpected, isn't it, so. That's always the case, it's always when you're doing something completely innocuous. Yeah. Right, okay. I think that's pretty well covered all my questions today. So we'll do the wrap up now, Loni. If people want to find out, obviously, where your collection is available, yeah. where are the best going? Um, so the publisher is Drake, they're a Scottish press. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Leone underscore Roland. Um, and I also run an independent magazine called The Hungry Ghost Project. The Hungry Ghost Project? Yeah. Oh, God, I, didn't know um, that. So I didn't know about that one. <laughs> so tell us about that then before we start wrapping up. Then. Uh, so we've published two issues for a print publication um, and we it's flash fiction and poetry on the relationship between hunger and hauntings in all of their oh, like, various ways. That's um, interesting. So yeah. where did that come from then? Um, so I around the time that I had the chapbook published, quite a lot of people got in touch with me and said that it made them realise that food played a huge part in their work as well. Um, and I'm very interested academically in Gothic consumption. So I was trying to sort of unify uh, these two things and it's been very, very interesting. Um, all of our profits go to Bigger She North. Um, oh, is, this the, is this the first time you've been involved in a magazine then, is it? Um, so I've worked at magazines before, but this is the first time that I've been in charge of one it's a fantastic <laughs> or anything. It's a fantastic experience. I've done it myself in the past. Have you, yeah. Have you? How did you yeah. find it? Oh, I'm with Amanda with fanzines, but I've been more recently guided Amanda because Amanda ran a magazine for two and a half years, she did, oh, for printed words, and, and hers were like full proper magazines, which she brought out, and it was like 
it was great helping her out with that because um, I think she learned. You know, I think when you do something like this, you learn something from it. You learn to find the voice like as well as the book, the voice for your book, because the voice for your magazine as well. All very similar sort of stuff. So, yes. how often does your magazine come out? Um, so it's almost exactly a year old as well, and we've. What's that? Two, that's symmetry. I know, I know. It was a very, very busy month. Oh, but it was. March last year, yeah. So, what t- are you doing them like every six months or so? Is it that's right? what it's been so far. Um, I'm taking a bit of a break at the moment just to get the PhD off its feet, um, but I will return to it soon. And when submissions open, it's all announced on Twitter. So. Oh, excellent. Good luck. And if people want to find out more. How to contact you on the home go? Is that best through Twitter or does it have its own page somewhere? Um, yeah, it's on Twitter and there's also a website. So if you just type in Hungry Ghost Project, uh, we're usually the first search on Google, fingers crossed. Yeah, so. I think with a name like that, definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> stand out really well, doesn't it? Excellent. Yeah. Okay, well, that's called all my questions. So we'll let you catch your breath now. Or you know, you're going to go back to your coffee. So yeah. um, we're very happy to be with everybody. We're going to do a few pieces for us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. I'd like to see you one minute. Spoken, mate. Hi guys, yes, I'm still here with the lovely Loney over at Manchester Central Library. And this is my, my time to be having a bit of time to calm down now. So I'm going to watch Loney read out, is it three flash fiction pieces for us? Uh, yeah, that's the plan. Go for it then. Fantastic. Um, so this is a piece of horror flash fiction. Uh, it's called Jennifer's Dream. You were barely there in the gallery. So when your flatmate says, you're mad at me, you respond to the first thing you see. The plaque on the wall says, welcome to Jennifer's dream. And below, there is a paragraph of text, which you begin to read aloud. I am not anything. I am not anything. That's good, your flatmate says, because I thought you were mad. In Jennifer's dream, the room is red, and there are so many paintings to see. They push out from the walls like jutting heads, and you think they might be reaching. When you ask the guard, he says, No man, it's just the display. Sunlight streams through open windows, and you are afraid that it might burn. The second plaque says, Jennifer speaks in tongues. And in the painting, a woman sits on a high back chair with 12 tongues falling from her mouth. No one is there to hear her, you say, assuming there is sound in the painted world that does not make sense to your ears. You picture it like the trickle of water. Listen as the pitch becomes increasingly urgent. And even though the only danger is overflow, your heart is pounding. You relate to Jennifer and her tongues, which are in motion, but not as they should be. They aren't tasting. Soon, they will be flailing on the ground. Are you mad at me, your flatmate says, and for a moment you hear Jennifer speaking, hear her say, what is there to be mad about when food is lovely and you are already dying? You're mad, he says, you're mad. Did you fill up the kettle, you murmur, watching as Jennifer nods and wanders out of frame. 
When you glance at the next plaque, the painting is called 12 tons, but there are only 11. This is what they say. One, there are too many days to go on like this. Two, on the left arm, there is blood. Three, there are nights that taste of vinegar and in them you shall rise. Four, on the right arm, there is remorse. Five, make sure the kettle is full, but be careful not to touch it. Six, make sure the kettle is empty, but be careful not to touch it. Seven, bring the pot to boil, but be careful not to touch it. Eight, empty your kitchen of vital signs. Nine, when water is boiling, it burns. Ten, empty your kitchen of vital signs. Eleven, when water is boiling, it burns. Your flatmate takes your right arm and pulls you away, places you in front of another painting. This one is called Jennifer Swallows Her Eyes. But the title is wrong because the eyes are staring out of Jennifer's mouth. Unswallowed. See it. Your flatmate says, are you mad at me? That you sound so far away. Jennifer's eyes are a tasty shape. They are watching a pot boil. Your flatmate is beside her, gesturing frantically. You say, no one can hear you. And he turns, catches the handle with his left arm. And the pot, a hungry circle, flips from the stove and hits you. It bites you and it burns. You don't realise that shapes can taste until this moment. A pasta spiral is different to a shell, just as circles enjoy us, whereas rectangles don't. You want to warn Jennifer about the circles, but your lips are too busy moving, saying something like, the clocks are turning back. Jenny, your flatmate says. Jenny, why are you calling me that? You reply. The gallery is hot now. You run to the bathroom, find a cubicle, and lock yourself inside. You hate the taste of vinegar, which is rising up and up. When you exit the cubicle, words flash across the mirror. Jennifer goes to the bathroom. You approach the sink and they change. Jennifer washes her hands. The water is cold, the way you like it. Jennifer sees her face. It is melting in the blistering heat. Jennifer screams. You're not mad, you're not mad. You're not even here. 
Jennifer wakes up alone. Your flatmate is outside, waiting. Jennifer wakes up alone. But you stay in the bathroom, standing still. Jennifer wakes up alone. Until the words are quiet. Jennifer wakes up alone. And the lights go out. Ooh, how that ending. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> really good, that piece. So, is that in the collection? Uh, no, no, that's not. Oh. That was published by a magazine called Horrified, and then it was published in print by a magazine called Lost Futures. As I well. can see Horrified there. Yeah, that's a good title. It's <laughs> really creepy, that, definitely. So, Thank you have some of the link for that, so I can send that to Amanda as well. She should definitely read that. She's a horror queen. So. Wonderful. All right, okay. On to number piece number two, then. Yes. Okay, I'm going to read something quite different. Um, this is the title story to my collection in bed with melon bread. When we were standing in the convenience store looking intently at bread, you asked me what I was thinking and I said, melon bread is a better bedside manner than any man I've been with. You must have mistaken this for encouragement because you reached for a chocolate twist with confidence in your eyes. But really, it was just the truth. I visited your flat a week later, and the twist was displayed on your kitchen shelf like a motivational quote. I thought at first that you had bought another one, but you glanced at it repeatedly as you made my coffee. And when you left the room, I checked the sell-by date. It seemed to me that you were keeping souvenirs of something that hadn't happened. I could feel it watching us with little chocolate eyes. You started sending me slices of toast after that. They arrived in paper packages. The first time I opened one, the crumbs spilt all over the floor. Attentive, I said to myself, as I fetched the hoover and took a bite. You almost had me then. I liked the time you had taken to toast the bread. I'm nervous that toasters will become obsolete when life gets too busy, and it was soothing to know that you still used one. The caveat was this. That night, after deciding we should be together, I climbed into bed with my daily melon bread, and I was struck by the quiet. I lit a candle and took a bite. Then, I imagined you asking for a taste. You should have bought your own, I said, as if you were there. I was glad, as the melon-flavoured cream sweetened the taste that had settled in my mouth, that you were not. Excellent. Yeah, it's very different, that piece, isn't mm. it? So. I know, quite a tonal shift. <laughs> yeah, but do you know how do you feel like obviously like your work? Obviously, it's I don't. I'm always believe every piece got is different anyway by circumstances, yeah. isn't it? And that felt like was it a bit of a gap between those two pieces being wrote? Was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I wrote those pieces about a year and a half apart. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> I think it's different moods sometimes in it and some reflection. So fantastic. Anyway, let's get straight into number three then. Yeah, of course.
So this piece is called My Mother is a Garden Where Other People Grow. When I was born, I grew out of her. Seeds from a flower, catching the wind. When my grandma died, she grew into her. Violets filling into roses, purples replacing pinks. Watching from a distance, I learnt that death repurposes rather than uproots. That the ground does not mean silence. That everyone needs somewhere to go. At first, I plucked the violets. They grew on her arms, her chest, leaning like bruises. I tied them together and made a garland, placing it on her head. There. I said, repurposed. After that, they spread to her mind. I blamed myself for planting them too close, for closing the circle like one of my grandma's fairy rings. My mother spun through the house like a tiny storm, twirling, turning. The garland was a halo, a glowing crown of thorns. Once, I found her naked, standing in front of a full-length mirror. She pressed her hand to her heart and said, She's here. Purple spread from her fingers, mottled her skin. I knew then that I would have to bury her, cover her with soil so she could start again. I was scared that my body would look like hers, uprooted and trembling. There was no more room. Do we become our mothers or do we become the dead? These days, when I undress, I have them too. Purple flowers scattered across my chest. I cut their stems and place them in vases, but there are too many now and my room looks like a funeral parlour. My mother wouldn't know if she saw them. She would think they came from her. Sometimes, I imagine her floating through a field, just above the ground. My grandma is there too, drifting beside her, not quite touching. Below them, the earth is full. It's beautiful. Thank sad, you. very sad, mind you. <laughs> Thank you. It's very, um, it's a bit like poetic prose, that one, actually. Yeah. The, the tones are very different to the two pieces in the end. It's, if people want to read that one, is that published anywhere, that piece? Yeah, that's published um, um, by a journal called Tiny Molecules. It's definitely deserved it straight away. Thank and if you haven't been published, I'll tell you to get it published. <laughs> Thank you. Now, um, I don't want to go into con content of that one it felt quite personal yeah it was very personal um i actually wrote it on the day that my grandma died 
I was yeah. wondering if that was the case, and that's yeah. why I wasn't going to ask you that. Because it felt like there was a lot of emotion pent up in it. Yes. And it's like you could see how much you loved it straight away, and I'm very, very sad, mind you. It's a beautiful piece. Thank you. I'm really glad that you liked it. It's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank Hopefully, you so much we'll for get to me. Oh, it's been great. As far as I'm concerned, if you ever do this again in the future, keep in touch. Absolutely. And I said, well, so no doubt we'll see you at Speakeasy or maybe in here again, even. So. Yeah, fantastic. It's been a pleasure today. Thank, Thank you for you having again. me. It's a pleasure. Right, guys and girls, as Don Callis says at Impact Wrestling, stay safe and stay over. We'll see you all next time. Spoken, mate.